Greetings, and welcome to another episode of DorkFest, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a great show for you. My name's Josh Freemuth. Joining me, as always, are the dorks. We have our senior officer, Dan Freemuth, with us. Dan, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much. Terrific. Also on the line, acting ensign Gabe Freemuth. How's it going, Gabe? Uh, all hailing frequencies open for solid communication through this draft, boys. Wonderful. And the professor, Jordan Freemuth, who until recently uh, was scheduled to give the commencement address at Starfleet Academy this year. Real bummer, Jay. Sorry about that one, man. Yeah, I thought that was going to be, I thought this was going to be my big moment, but guess not. There's always uh, 2021, or maybe you'll have to wait all the way until the 23rd century. Who knows? Little housekeeping up at the top here. Uh, first of all, we would just very much like you, you to follow us on Instagram. That's uh, dorkfest underscore podcast. Lots of wonderful dorky stuff going up on there these days. Second is that the podcast is now up on and active on all of your favorite podcasting services, Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So please subscribe, rate, and review. Lastly, we have settled on a, a bit of a hopeful release schedule for these podcasts. Uh, we're hoping to post about two per month. Now, it might be a little bit more frequent than that while we are all uh, confined to quarters until further notice, but two per month every other week is what we'll be hoping for and what you can expect uh, here on DorkFest, the podcast. We have another Star Trek topic we're going to delve into tonight, but before that, I had a question that I wanted to pose to the group here. As I mentioned on the last show, I really love the NFL draft. And this year, there was an interesting wrinkle where all of the coaches and GMs operated remotely. They were not all in their team facilities. And so they had computers and phones and TV screens, TV cameras all set up in remote locations. And most of them were fairly ordinary home office type setups, but some of them were really interesting uh, that I wanted to note. One, the Minnesota Vikings head coach, who I will be referring to as Gimli from now on, had one in his living room with a roaring fire and what looked like moose and elk heads mounted on the walls, something really out of the minds of Moria there. Jerry Jones, Jordan and I were trying to figure this out where his was. It was a very uniquely decorated room and a Twitter user actually sussed it out that his remote location was aboard his luxury yacht. Now, some were a little more austere. The Oakland Raiders, or, sorry, now Las Vegas Raiders GM appeared to be in his kitchen. You could see some dishes being done in the background. And the New York Giants GM appeared to be in an attic. <laughs> so some real interesting locations there. And so I wanted to know from all of you is what would be your ideal setting that you would choose for a remote draft like that? Dan, you're up first. Where would you set up for something like that? I was originally going to go a Star Wars route, but I decided in the end, I know how much we all love the film Star Trek Generations. And one of the, one of the key scenes in that film takes place in stellar cartography. I would love to be set up in that little bay at stellar cartography. Reasons being, I want to have access to video between my picks. I want video to be able to come up. I want a nice big like IMAX screen to be able to check out the video. And then when it comes to me to make my pick, all of a sudden I swing my chair around. Now I got the video behind me. I could put myself in any setting that I want. Don't need to worry about tracking the ribbon or any of that nonsense. So set me up in stellar cartography, please. That has always been one of the, one of my favorite uh, favorite sets, and uh, I mean, not only the best part of that movie, maybe the only decent part of that a, movie. A highlight to a real low light of a film. <laughs> <laughs> Next, Jordan, uh, where are you setting up for the draft? I'm going to go way back into the uh, childhood of my dorkage, and I would choose the command center from the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Hanging out with my, with, uh, my boy Zordon and uh, Alpha 5. 
Ay, 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 ay. Exactly, yeah. Well, and I figure, too, you know, Alpha 5, he might have been responsible for a Jalen Hurts-like selection. Um, <laughs> but I feel like Zordon would kind of help steady the ship, as it were. So that, that would be my virtual draft location. Boy, could you, you imagine? You teleport everybody to the command center. Once, as soon as you drafted them, just have your team, like, right there. Yeah. Can you imagine how panicked Alpha would be before making a selection? I mean, that guy was just in a tizzy all the time. Can you imagine that clock counting down and him having to help make a pick? I love this. Great, great pick. Gabe, how about you? Um, yeah, I was doing a lot of thinking, and there's a lot of, um, you know, when you uh, sort of floated this category, you, uh, you know, gave a, a bunch of good examples yourself. You know, do it from the bat cave. Do it from, you know, Rivendell, anywhere you like. And, uh, and I started thinking about it. And maybe it's a little maudlin, but honestly, the only thing, the best location I could think of for drafting uh, anything really was in the basement theater of Three Marlin Drive, sitting in those big old chairs, the, the theatrical recliners, and just in good old Malvern. Oh, the fresh popcorn. At the ready. A, a bunch of fun displays, usually themed to the events around, and an easy access urinal right around the corner. I mean, it's everything you could want. Terrific choices all, but I'm actually going to go with uh, Pete Venkman's office from the Ghostbusters Firehouse. You know, plenty of desk space in there. It's a big room. Uh, you know, ESPN would have no trouble finding places to put their cameras in there. I feel like I could get Janine to, to be in the office with me. There's that little half wall for social distancing purposes. Mm. So I, I feel like Janine could be working the phones with other GMs and I could be wheeling and dealing. And as I said, it's only a half wall. So if Sigourney Weaver walks in, I can just hop on over and see what's up. Just terrific suggestions from all of you, of you dorks. And so much so that we're actually going to try something a little bit different with, with this episode of the podcast. As Dan was kind enough to mention in the intro video that he recorded, these dork fests originated as, as a competition with points being awarded to each participant uh, based on the quality of their answers. So I'm going to dish out a few points here for some of these answers. Dan is going to score big off the bat with three points because stellar cartography is wonderful. Jordan is going to come in just behind with two points, largely because the, the play set of that Power Rangers headquarters, whatever, I don't even remember what it was called, was always a really cool toy. Gabe is going to come in with one point uh, just for picking a real-life location. Not nearly enough imagination there. And I'm also going to only give myself one point because I'm, I'm, I'm violating the rules and, and requiring an employee to, to come in and, and work with me. I think Gabe's singular point is well-earned, though, because he is the only one among us who considered the restroom situation. <laughs> I have no idea if Data and Picard were stuck in stellar cartography for hours on end. Data obviously is fine, but Picard is really up a creek, I suspect, if, you know, a restroom is required. We have never seen bathrooms on board a starship. Just saying. I'm sure they exist. We've never seen them. <laughs> Probably not an issue for that Alpha just behind the camera. Zordon either. <laughs> no. He just has gaseous emissions. <laughs> But, but he's locked in that tube, so it's fine. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, so now it is time to get into our topic for this episode. Now, last time we analyzed our two favorite episodes from the original series, Sitting on the Edge of Forever and Balance of Terror, Star Trek, the original series, that is, and ended up, to my mind, talking a lot about the guest stars of those two episodes, the Romulan commander and Edith Keeler. So what we wanted to do for this episode was to really focus on those main characters of Star Trek, the crews that we followed from week to week, movie to movie over, over decades. What were their similarities? What were their differences? And what were the common themes that tied each individual crew together and tied them together across the length and breadth of Star Trek. So that's the basis for our one point question, which is going to go to Gabe first. And that is what are Star Trek crews made of? And an excellent reference to an early uh, original series episode. What are Star Trek crews made of? I think you do the, the purest example of this is the original series. I think this is the 
uh, and obviously so, so being the first one, but it really does set a very strong uh, architecture for future shows in terms of the hierarchies it sets up in terms of the departments and how it uh, represents what Starfleet and eventually the Federation are all about. It's balanced with the commander at the top. You've always got a first officer. You've always got a chief engineer and a chief medical officer. Those are, you know, sort of the big ones that consistently come up. After that, positions vary. Uh, sometimes roles get combined. And this especially and somewhat paradoxically happens as the cast get even bigger. <laughs> Somehow they combine roles and they bring up new ones uh, out, of, out of nowhere. Counselor Troy, uh, the counselor role, that's unique, I think, to the next generation. Neelix as a chef on Voyager, you know, it makes sense for their situation, but that's uh morale officer please sure, of course let's give the fellow a little bit of respect but it's stuff like that so it is interesting to see how they uh, and it ends up too um the other thought of that and, and um, maybe part of what goes into that of course is the casting is roddenberry sets it out he wanted a colorblind future you know it didn't matter who was on the bridge it's a meritocracy you got the best people up there uh, everybody's capable um doesn't matter what you look like what you believe where you come from and you see that echoing down through the cast through the ages as well yeah, and Gabe, I think you're picking up on something that I thought about when I was thinking about this question, which is that you have sort of the functional way of thinking about what crews are made of in terms of what are the positions that need to be filled in an ideal crew. Then you also have sort of like the theoretical or perhaps the canonical way of looking at this in terms of like, what, it, what does it mean? to stay true to the tenets of Star Trek. And, you know, you talked about the diversity of the crews, which was something that was true from the original series and something that you saw throughout all of the series as well. Another thing that I thought about being an English teacher, I thought about this in a bit of a literary sense. In literature, there's this concept of like the other. The other is this idea that like, it's an individual who's perceived by the group as being different in some sort of fundamental way. And as I thought about it, that's, that's something that seems to stay true throughout many of the series of Star Trek. With the original series, you obviously have the character of Spock. With The Next Generation, you have the character of Data who goes through different situations connecting to that idea as well. With DS9, you have Oda. You know, you, that series very much took the character of Odo in that sort of direction and exploring himself in that way. Um, with Enterprise, you have T'Pol, Discovery of Michael Burnham. Voyager was one that I, I wasn't quite sure if there was a character that fit that mold there, but I do think that it's something that, that seems pretty constant throughout. Yeah, I, I thought, um, Jordy, when you mentioned the idea of the other, Seven of Nine was, was the character on Voyager that I felt kind of filled, filled that role. But I, you know, when I think about crews on Star Trek, I guess the main theme that I always come back to is this idea of family. Um, you know, so often in these Star Trek settings, we don't see these people's actual family. Many of them have family, whether it's, you know, direct family, spouses, children, or obviously, you know, parents, grandparents, um, so on and so forth, but we don't see those individuals because their family, be, you know, their ship family becomes the family that we come to know as a result of the show. And really, you know, as a, as a product of what they're going through, that has to be their secondary family. And so I've always looked at the crews as, as families. And that, I think, has always been a huge strength of the series throughout. It started, we talked about it on the last show, the Holy Trinity, right, of Kirk, Spock, and Bones. They really formed the glue of the Enterprise family in the original series. And then I thought they took that to a whole nother level with Star Trek The Next Generation, thinking about, you know, Picard sort of being the, the paternal member of this family, the relationships between Riker and Troy, eventually Worf and Troy, as beloved as Data was. And then Deep Space Nine, I think, hits the home run as it relates to Star Trek and families. And that may not be everyone's favorite show or the best show per se, but I think when it comes down to building those familial relationships on Star Trek, Deep Space Nine did it the best for me. Other people have families, Bones, not us. Uh, Kirk and McCoy reference uh, in, uh, what was that, Star Trek V? I, I, I guess. Uh, yeah. That's and, a campfire. Um, another, whiskey. another. Tennessee whiskey. Another, hi <laughs> another highlight and a low light. Uh, <laughs> however, but. Um, the highlight and the rest of the movie is basically downhill from there. 
this idea of the the family you choose is is really common in in fantasy stories i, I feel like it's gotten a, a lot of notoriety been talked a lot uh, about a lot with harry potter and game of thrones and things like that and i think it's maybe a little bit overlooked at star trek in the idea of the family you choose especially when thinking about kirk spock and McCoy. Spock has a notoriously bad relationship with his father. Kirk's relationship with his family is never flushed out, and neither is McCoy's. Uh, they are the people that each other has chosen to care about, and part of it is duty-bound. But over the years, the personal relationship becomes almost a duty of its own. And I think that is a really interesting point is that, and I, that you're absolutely right. The, the Kirk Spock McCoy Trinity, that's, that's the heart of original series. And that is the key line. I think Josh is other people have families, bones, not us. Each series kind of defines and approaches family for itself in a different way. The original series, it's still a bit of that militaristic structure, you know, to serve is to dedicate everything to Starfleet, to the ship, no beach to walk on. <laughs> None of that nonsense. <laughs> and the next generation, you start to see it's kind of a floating town out there. You know, it, it retains some of that, you know, Wild West aspect, but family is interdependence out there. You know, they have worked out how to be a community. Deep Space Nine, you're looking at a bunch of people that have to learn how to be a family in a really tough time, in a really tough place, uh, in a really tough situation. And Voyager, that's a bunch of people that need each other to become a family. Otherwise, they're literally forced to become They have to be. They, yeah, they, there. Have to, yeah, they have to learn how to live together in order to just live in Deep Space Nine, but in Voyager just to exist, to stay alive. They've got to, they need each other in a different way. Yeah, no, each, each show is really, and maybe that's the failure of Enterprise to not quite reach what they meant by keeping each other together. It was, it was all about exploration, but I feel like, you know, maybe they didn't grasp, but the failures of Enterprise are a whole other podcast conversation. <laughs> I was, I was going to say there, Gabe, you, at first you mentioned just the failure of Enterprise, thus implying that there was only one which I think that there, as you said, I think there are plenty of other failures of that, of that yeah, series that we could talk about, at which point we would no doubt allow Dan some time to, to stick up for it as he no doubt would. Uh, but right Gabe, would. Go easy on Enterprise. Justice uh, for Porthos. He's the only redeeming character. Uh, but Gabe, I did want to extend something that you were talking about just really quickly because you were talking about how the, the idea of family was evolving through each of the different series. Um, and in doing that, I, I don't remember if it was Gabe, it was you, Gabe, or Josh talked about this. Uh, we talked about how like, like Kirk's family, you, know, you don't see a lot of that in the original series. And it made me think about how in the later installments of the movies, you do get a little bit of that complicated relationship that he, that he had with his father and that, and that, and that he never knew his father. He got, you know, his father was this hero that he never knew and that very much complicated his relationship. So I think it kind of speaks to what you were saying, Gabe, in the sense that this idea of family was something that was being explored differently throughout each of the different series and movies. I think it's worth, uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of, some of this stuff, uh, maybe just mentioning for listeners' sake, uh, more of the roles that are out there in the Star Trek crew universe, if I might drop a quick portmanteau. Yeah, yeah we've, we mentioned there's a captain. Somebody's always running the ship. He's always got a right-hand person who's helping run the ship. And then uh, you've got a medical officer. You've always got an engineer. Uh, in the original series, you had a helmsman and a navigator. That sort of eventually gets blended. But that's kind of about it. There are communications. That's the only other... Department, I could yeah, that Uhura's communications yeah. gets folded into the, the tactical responsibilities right. a little bit later on. And that becomes like ops, another position there. Yeah, I was, I was going to only just bring up that, yeah, security chief becomes a very big role in subsequent series. The Next Generation, of course, with Tasha Yar and, and Worf, and then obviously in, in Deep Space Nine with Odo and, and so on and so forth. But I think it is interesting when you look back at the original series that that was not a position of emphasis and you you wonder was that maybe done intentionally and strategically by Gene Roddenberry thinking about this utopian future and the idea of hopefully us as a civilization advancing beyond warlike tendencies yes if we're going to explore beyond the boundaries of our own space you're probably going to encounter some turbulence that's where the red shirts come in but i thought it was interesting 
in thinking about the crew dynamics that in the very first iteration of this show, there was not a name main character who was specifically in charge of security and dealing with weapons and dealing with outside threats. Yeah, and I, I think we can definitely make the case that it was deliberate because if you think about the episode Mirror, Mirror, uh, Sulu is one of the nastiest characters in that Mirror universe, and his title is Security Chief Sulu. So th that is clearly something that wasn't just totally ignored in that original series, but yeah, it was probably deliberately left out. And Chekhov himself becomes, I think, like a weapons officer in the films for the original series. He's always the one firing off the photon torpedoes and stuff. I think that's the post he takes starting in the motion picture, doesn't he? He takes his position as ops. Yeah, I think Chekhov kind of bounces around to uh, wherever they needed somebody to fill in. Well, and I, and I do think, to Gabe's point, uh, and Josh's, your point as well, about bouncing around to whatever position was needed, I think we're going to start to see more of that as this conversation evolves, because I do think those, the most valuable crew members that we've seen in this universe are those who are not exclusively defined by the title on their business card, right? That's a great point, Dan. Um, so often people are called to they're called to action to, you know, to do uh, whatever the situation demands of them here, you know, regardless, it's, uh, it's not just their field of study that makes a Starfleet officer, one might say. Well, and speaking of the, not the title on their business card, if they even have one, talking about uh, the series Deep Space Nine, my favorite character from that series has always been Quark, who is, it is it, a bartender. He's he's not part of this crew. He lives and works on the station. He's totally out for himself, uh, juxtaposed against this Starfleet and Bajoran crew that is all about duty and their mission. And then there's Cork, who's just out for some latinum. It's just a tremendous juxtaposition there. Well, we and we could have a whole show about. <laughs> what a tremendous character Quark is. But when Gabe mentioned the idea that Next Generation was sort of that Wild West environment in space, I mean, boy, howdy, that's exactly what Deep Space Nine is. And there's Quark manning the saloon yeah. in this Wild West town. And he, he, yes, he's while he is not by definition a member of the crew, he sure is a member of that crew because... He is befriended. He is also despised. He, he's, and that he, I think is what he makes plays him. a role in the operation of that station, even though he wouldn't be listed on a on a crew manifest. Say yes, and I think that, very well put. Yeah, and I think that speaks to another great character in terms of Deep Space Nine being the character of Garrick, the the station's tailor, which is totally not a role that would be needed on a starship, and yet you have that great role there. And I think it also speaks to sort of the evolution of some of these roles, where you have Quark not being the first bartender in Star Trek. That would go to Guinan, of course. So That's you see right, how, yeah. like, you know, Star Trek is sort of playing with how they could use these different roles as the universe of Star Trek evolves. Well, uh, myself, much like Guinan, I enjoy Tending Bar and listening and it has been a pleasure listening to this conversation about the the fabric of these crews of star trek how they how they originated how they evolved the nuts and bolts and the more abstract themes so time to award some points for some of the better comments the more in, uh, insightful remarks that were made i believe gabe is going to make a comeback here in this one point question category uh, and he's going to, to be awarded three points for the Wild West in Space comment. Jordan is on the board with a single point for bringing up that uh, even though I mentioned Quark as the bartender, he was correct to point out that it was actually Guinan. Dan's going to be on the board uh, with two points uh, for the, the most salient point that, that family is really what these, these crews are, are about. I'm not sure that anything that I said deserves any points whatsoever. I told you all that I was generous with points. You did say um, that last week. And I also just, agree that you said nothing of value in the last conversation. It just means that it's going to be a dramatic comeback. <laughs> so now that we've got all that background 
on the Star Trek cruise and getting back to the draft element that I love so much. That brings us to our two-point question for this podcast, where the dorks are on the clock. We are each going to draft a starship crew made up of characters from across the Star Trek series and movies. Uh, now, we've got some rules uh, for this draft. Each participant is going to draft five crew members. Uh, it's a snake format. Now, once drafted, a character is off the board. And another little wrinkle is that all iterations of a specific character are included when that character is selected. For, for instance, we're not differentiating between William Shatner's Kirk and Chris Pine's Kirk. If you draft James T. Kirk, you get it all. At the end, uh, each crew will designate a captain and first officer for their crew. The draft order is going to be the reverse order of the last Dorkfest competition that we had. So, as always, I will be going last because I won. And again, consistent with the outcomes of these Dorkfests, Jordan will be going, will be drafting first. And lastly, we're going to give uh, each of our ships a name with, 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 uh, with potential points for the dorkiest one out there. Criteria are completely up to each, each dork. Uh, you can build your crew in whichever way uh, you would like. And then we will analyze at the end and see what we've all, see what we've all came up with. So Jay, uh, you are up with the first pick of the 2020 Star Trek Crew Draft. For selecting my first overall pick, I would like to introduce my uh, ship being the USS Hut. We are looking to make up for the what ended up being an ineffective draft pick last year. Um, someone who you know dropped cargo at the first sign of an Imperial starship. So with the first overall pick in the 2020 Star Trek draft, the USS Hut selects Science officer, Mr. Spock. Spocko. In thinking about this selection, you know, we talked about, you know, sort of the importance of characters that can serve multiple roles. So I think that's definitely a huge part of it. And then also just in terms of how I was rating these different, different members of the crew, I think that, you know, first officer is a group where it's not necessarily as deep as some of the other positions. So I wanted to make sure that I nabbed the best first officer out there. Yeah, there, there, there were two or, three, uh, two or three characters that I was thinking could go in this spot. And um, if I were setting the odds, I would, I would have taken, taken a beating. This is not who I was thinking would have gone first. But Spock is certainly deserving of, of the top spot, no doubt about that. Now, guys, we also talked about some of these crew members being utility players. Did anybody else think at all about drafting crew members into unfamiliar positions? Well, that's that's up to you. You're, you're I mean, as we said, the criteria is is up to each dork. So if if that's something that you want to use to maybe motivate your crew uh, a, a little bit, that is up to you, uh, Fleet Admiral Gabe. Uh, we're going to go next uh, to Dan for the second pick. Yep. So it's interesting that you said, first of all, to Jordy's pick, a great selection. I was convinced that Jordan was going to go one of two directions, one of which was Spock. So uh, unlike you, Josh, I was prepared for that selection. Uh, we will be selecting on this side to fill the main crew of the USS Springsteen. Feeling very uh, patriotic these days, particularly after the Jersey for Jersey televised fundraiser the other day. So filling out the USS Springsteen here. And with our first selection in the 2020 Star Trek crew draft, the USS Springsteen would like to select Jean-Luc Picard. For my money, there is no better captain than Jean-Luc Picard. I can tell you right now without hesitation, not only are we selecting Jean-Luc Picard, we are naming him captain right now at this point in time. It doesn't matter who else we get. Jean-Luc Picard is our captain. He has been through it all. He continues to serve the Federation with dignity and pride, and we are thrilled to welcome him to the USS Springsteen. 
Uh, an excellent choice. And I got to say, so far we are in line because for my betting money, the kid who missed the sports gene completely in this family, uh, I thought there were there were three characters that were going to go and, as the first three choices. And so far, uh, I'm going to, uh, for myself, I will round this prophecy out on the behalf of the USS Whip named for our uh, street upon which our new house resides. Apparently, I erred on the side of sentimentality today. Sorry, guys. I'm going to be dorkier in the future. Seriously. A, a common th- thread. Not not at all anticipated for, from game. I'll fix uh, my draft location after the fact here. I got a new thought about that. But as the third overall uh, pick in the Star Trek 2020 crew draft, I will take Star Trek's ultimate utility player, Lieutenant Commander Data. You can't you can't do yeah, better. Almost almost literally, he he is he is beyond beyond description in his abilities in order to perform functions on a starship on an away team. He is unique. Yeah. He is super capable. You can he will thrive wherever you put him. You just need somebody to sort of keep an eye on him. He gets along with with, with all the rest of the crew members. Don't have to worry about any interpersonal drama there. Some of the best of Star Trek lies with Lieutenant Commander Data, but that's my choice. You want to take us home for the first round there, Josh? A tremendous pick by you, Gabe, most of all because it leaves this character for me to select, and I can't believe that he's lasted all the way until the end of the first round. I'm grabbing James T. Kirk. James Kirk is practically synonymous with Star Trek. And you, uh, Dan referenced a an attribute of his captain in that, Jean-Luc Picard could do it all. I would like to see Jean-Luc Picard engaged in some fisticuffs with James T. Kirk. I think Kirk would have the advantage there. Um, you, you provide your ship's coordinates and the USS <laughs> Springsteen will be there. Toot sweet, warp factor nine, we will be there. Thank you for reminding me uh, that James Jim Kirk will be captaining the USS Gondorf. Feel free to 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 proceed at space normal speed because I don't think Picard is going to be too anxious about getting down in the dirt with uh, with Jim Kirk. I would uh, just like to point out that John Lee Picard is no stranger to fisticuffs. By, thank by, you. He thank you. Gabe. Numerous occasions given uh, you know caused for a dust up has proved has held his own admirably. Yes, yeah. but held his own is different than taking on the essence of manhood that, that, that is James Tiberius Kirk. I mean, the age differential alone is reason to favor Wisdom, Kirk. wisdom, strategy. Wisdom, we just, got, we just got finished an entire podcast going over what a wise and brilliant strategist Kirk was against the Romulans. Give me a break. And... Picard's Enterprise had superior technology that Kirk was not entitled to in his day. I am quite happy with the value that I've gotten. Uh, And also, I think, incredible value here with my first selection in the second round. Jordan, you talked about an area where you did not think first officer had a whole lot of depth. Chief medical officer, in my opinion, has zero depth at all after the character that I am about to select and that is Dr. McCoy. We talked a little bit in the, in the last segment about the counselor's role. We know from Balance of Terror that he can, he can fill that role. I think it's in Devil in the Dark that he, he says that he's beginning to think he can cure a rainy day. I mean, th- there is no medical ailment that is beyond this guy, and he's just an entertaining guy to have around. So I'm going with Bones for my second pick. I did think uh, along the same lines as you, Josh, that medical officers were going to be at a premium here. Um, and I'm interested to see how the remaining admirals handle their, their respective drafts. You have gotten excellent value for your two picks there. For Kirk and McCoy, obviously that's a winning combination. Uh, you may be missing the Vulcan, but you've uh, you got a lot of heart there on, on board the USS Gondorf. And uh, for my next pick for the whip, I am going to take, and for similar reasons, because I think here you have somebody fearless who's going to take on any challenge, no matter how technologically impossible or no matter how much it violates the laws of physics, I'm going to take uh, Commander Montgomery Scott as my uh, second draft pick. for the Great US. choice. Great choice. Uh, and again, not only is uh, James Dewan a great asset to have on Star Trek the series, uh, I think you can't do better than somebody when facing the unknown 
nobody's going to care for that shit more. Nobody's going to know more about it. And nobody's going to learn it faster when the poodoo is about to hit the fan. Literally a miracle worker. Now he might multiply his repair estimates by a factor of four. You're going to have to keep, going to have to keep an eye on that, but good selection. So, uh, so next, next selection, moving on to the USS Springsteen, a ship that I have heard is designed like a garbage scow. Well, yeah, that's, that may just be from that suspect guy you got sitting in the captain's chair on the USS Gondorf might be oh feeding you. How dare you? How dare you? But for the, the second round selection for the USS Springsteen, we are going to take the other guy that I was hoping to get and suspected this original series and next gen biased group would completely <laughs> overlook and so unjustifiably so i will select benjamin cisco with my second round selection oh very interesting ben cisco started as a commander at deep space nine lost his wife in the borg's assault at wolf 359 rallied his troops at Deep Space Nine, eventually promoted to captain. Captain's not only the station, but the Defiant. He helped the Federation win the Dominion War. And lest we not forget, he at one point even became a god. So I think we're in pretty darn good shape with Ben Sisko maintaining the role of commander under the tutelage of Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, one wonders, though, when is Jean-Luc going to start looking over his shoulder, wondering, <laughs> is Ben Sisko out for my job? I, I wonder if we have a captain controversy on our hands here. Well, and I seem to remember a fractious relationship between those two referenced early on in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, there, uh, very, there very much is, but nothing can bring people together like Springsteen. <laughs> and that is why on the USS Springsteen, it's all sweet harmonies and awesome relationships. Or it could be a thunder road, perhaps. Oh, uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Jordan, USS Hut, the next two picks belong to you. Yeah, so finishing out the second round, um, this crew member falling to a location where I was really hoping to nab him. Sort of my namesake, though spelled differently, I'm going to be going with the, the engineer Jordy LaForge from Star Trek The Next Generation. Again, sort of the logic that I brought up after the first pick, and based on our first pick, you can see that the USS Hut is a logical ship. You know, this is a character that can serve multiple roles. Every ship needs a helmsman. They, you know, somebody needs to drive the thing, uh, but you also need, you need, you need an engineer. Jordy can do both of those. Rounding out after that, as there, been, there has been a bit of a run on captains, I'm going to go ahead and grab Captain the Voyager, Catherine Janeway, to begin the third round. That's an excellent choice, Jordan, and I know that because that was going to be my next choice. <laughs> Not so fast. Yeah, a, a real wrench thrown in by Dan grabbing both Picard and Cisco, leaving someone with some pretty unappetizing choices. It just makes my pick of Kirk look that much better. Uh, that's what I think. I mean, other other ships could be looking at promoting officers who have not yet achieved the rank of captain, though. I mean, that's right. We're we're at least allowing for that possibility, I think, and so. Jordan doesn't have to do that on the USS Hutt because he's got Janeway. Now, I will admit here, as it comes to me in round number three, I am torn on a couple of different fronts. There are some really key positions that, yes, admittedly, I think my leadership is off the charts with Picard and Cisco on the roster. But I am staring down some tricky <laughs> situations after that. So Somebody's going to have to fix a replicator at some point. <laughs> someone <laughs> will have to do that, yes, which is why I am going to pull the trigger on Mr. Repair Extraordinaire, Miles O'Brien. 
really came to life in Deep Space Nine. He was relegated to the transporter room, mostly in Next Gen, really started to rise in Deep Space Nine. And if he could keep that old Cardassian station up and running as often as he did, then he's going to have no problem with the USS Springsteen. So I will very happily add add the Irishman, Miles O'Brien, to our roster. Great character, great choice. Yeah, I mean, the, the transporter expertise com- combined with, with high-level e- engineering knowledge, we know that he's got some, some combat experience. He was a tactical officer at one point, I think is referenced in, in an episode of Next Generation. So what, what, a, a real Swiss Army knife. Yeah, I like the utility of our crew. I like the fact that we've got good leadership. And then, yeah, O'Brien, the one thing we got to watch out for him, uh, no hollow suites on the USS Springsteen. O'Brien's been known to sink a few hours into the hollow suite. So we got to keep them away from the the ships and the bottles. Yeah, we're just, it's it's holodeck (laughs) only and a time limit there to make sure we're maximizing Miles' time. But I, I feel pretty good that in the role of, chief engineer that he's really going to rally all right next up we've got gabe and on the on the uss whip not sure who would want to join that bucket of bolts but you know go go ahead gabe make your pick well since i apparently haven't gotten uh dorky enough i'm going to start trying to balance on some terror here i'm just going to come out outright say it in the captain's position i am going to draft lieutenant hikaru sulu well captain sulu i should say oh wow Uh, Just to nab that while he's still out there and make sure I've got that covered. I think there we have a very capable operations officer who knows the feel of the ship. And uh, clearly, if, uh, you know, in a a red alert situation, he knows how to order to hit the shields. Shields! 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 Anyway, Sulu can handle it. I think he's he's an explorer. My God, what a pick. Trained under some of the best. And by God, he's got a big ship. Real outside the box choice there, Gabe, and I love it because I was just like I was looking down my my sort of list of of captains here and thinking like, oh no, is someone going to have to 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 go down the Archer Don't route? Stop bashing Enterprise. I, I considered Archer. I actually considered I, Archer as a captain. You could do worse. <laughs> That's high praise for Jonathan. <laughs> Example. I, I, I'm asking you for an example. You made the statement. Oh, um, I want, uh, I want the captain who's Captain worse. Tracy, Captain Tracy from the Omega Glory. Um, any oh, number really? of Starship captains that have, you know, just totally lost their marbles over the years. I mean, that's the plot of like a whole bunch of who did Idris Elba play in Star Trek Beyond? That guy. That's true. <laughs> Boy, I, the can't fact remember, that I know Idris Elba was good in that, but we can't remember the character's name. Yeah, I was going to say, the fact that the four of us can't remember that guy's name tells us just that. I actually did like that movie as an aside, but yeah, that's, it's a, good that's movie. a pretty, pretty yeah. forgettable character. It's a, it's a, I, yeah, it's a really fun movie, but I haven't watched it since we all saw it in the theaters. So next is going to come to me for, for the USS Gondorf. Like, like Dan, I, I, I love my, my leadership and, and I need a little bit of nuts and bolts. And I believe one of you mentioned that I was missing a Vulcan presence. I'm going to fix that uh, with my with my helm officer, Lieutenant Savick. Savick fits right in with Kirk and McCoy and company in Star Trek's in Star Trek Two. Uh, plays a prominent role in Three. Uh, we know she can uh, take the con and is a is a valued member of the away team as well so uh that's where we're going to go on the gondorf uh for our third pick and next i'm going to uh to go with my sort of break glass in case of emergency pick uh at chief engineer and i'm going to grab balana torres another great choice could not allow myself to be boxed into the corner of of selecting in a character from Enterprise, from Enterprise, Balana, a, a member, a previous member of the Maquis. Clearly, she's got a highly developed sense of justice. Uh, she's Klingon, so she's good in a scrap. And she was able to be the chief engineer on Voyager for, what, seven, eight seasons? Clearly, plenty of technical expertise there. I don't think I'm going to have to worry about the engine room. No, she's a great call. Um, again, you talk about somebody who, who knows what it is to make it work out there in the absolute middle of nowhere, keep that ship running. Gabe, we're going to you. 
for my next USS Whip is now going to draft Jadzia Dax. What I'm really trying to do is structure a ship that's ready to explore. I think that's maybe the best iteration of what Star Trek is, and I want people out there that can handle the edges of space that are out there on the front lines. And I think Jadzia Dax can handle that. She's an inquisitive person, and she's got a several hundred-year-old organism inside her. We could use that kind of wisdom encountering all kinds of cultures. Gabe, I think that's a tremendous pick because it's exactly the selection I was about to make, uh, <laughs> thinking that you were not going to go that route for the USS Whip. That's okay. There's a line around the corner of officers chomping at the bit to join the USS <laughs> Springsteen. So we're just going to pluck the next one. We are going to fill our medical field by selecting Dr. Beverly Crusher. And there it is. Really love the long-standing dynamic and chemistry there between Jean-Luc and uh, Dr. Crusher, keeping it professional but friendly, of course. And, um, you know, she's got quite a medical mind on her shoulders as well. We talked about, you know, McCoy being able to cure the common cold. Well, I, I like Beverly's chances of curing that a little earlier than Bones. So very pleased to welcome Beverly Crusher to the USS Springsteen. Yeah, see, I, I, I had her, frankly, rated as my, my last, the last doctor that I would have chosen. But I, I think pairing her with Picard right. does make quite a bit of sense. Right. Uh, so Jordan selecting for the USS hut. Who else are you putting in the belly of that steel beast? So we're gonna we're gonna continue in the in the medical field. I'll admit, Dan, I was a little worried that you were about to nab the hologram that I was looking for, but you went <laughs> you went in a different direction with the last pick in the in the or no or the last pick of the the fourth round. I'm gonna be selecting the holographic doctor in terms of the ability of you know being able to cure all ills I, you know I, I don't think that we can expect anyone to really be doing much better than the holographic doctor and also if he gets annoying you can always turn him off and i also <laughs> feel good about the you know you we have an excellent engineer on this on the uss hut and Jordy laforge so in case there's any foul play um i have no doubt that Jordy can bring the doctor right back up um, right back up and running. That's going to be that pick. And then the final pick for the USS Hut, you know, sort of when I was thinking about the needs of a ship, I was thinking first officer, captain, engineer, doctor, and then the the fifth, but I think, you know, an important role to fill is the security role. And I think that we can all rest assured that no one did that any better than Mr. Wolf himself, Mr. Worf. Eat any good books lately? <laughs> It's one of the great burns of Q. <laughs> All right. So the USS Hut is full with Worf joining the fray. Now, I will admit that I do not have a security officer on my team, uh, except for, of course, the brawn that we've already established exists with Jean-Luc Picard. There are still a plethora of tremendous officers at the ready. So I find myself very torn here on this final selection. But I think when all is said and done, I am leaning towards a science mind. And I also really think that we want to embrace diversity on the USS Springsteen, not just human diversity, but also other cultures. So we are going to select with our fifth round selection the first member of the US of the previous USS Discovery to be selected. We will be taking Mr. Saru, the Kelpian who can sniff out danger when it's coming. Great science mind on him. He's been through a lot. He's going to bring an excellent science officer role to our ship of Discovery. Oh, kind of a new character. My <laughs> Declaration of Independence slotted in with a list of old safe characters. I see. 
Great choice, Dan. Saru also very long, kind of a stretch for, uh, he'd have, he'd probably go much higher than this in, in an NBA draft. What it means situation. is that, yeah, architecturally for the, the design of the USS Springsteen, they can put shelving units about a foot taller than on other ships because Saru could reach all that stuff that other crew members can't reach. So we're also, we're also good on that front as well. O'Brien's going to need a step stool to get up there though, I think. There's such great chemistry on our ship. Those guys are going to be like BFFs. Saru's going to be his new Bashir. They're going to be hanging out all the time. No step stool needed. Gabe, who's rounding out the whip? Yeah, I've got to follow in, um, in Dan's footsteps, and uh, I'm still missing a chief medical officer. And I think to round out my crew of explorers, uh, somebody open-minded and ready for to face new dangers and new ideas, I'm going to take Dr. Flox from Star Trek Enterprise. He's a cheery fellow and hasn't gotten too flummoxed yet. Also, I need a chief medical officer. I think he's pretty much one of the only ones left. I was going to go for the hologram. <laughs> Could have gone with Pulaski. Thought about that too, but I think I want Flocks. She was only there for a season. You know, she went back into retirement. She's fine. So for, for my final pick on the USS Gondorf, I'm going to make a selection that I'm certain will be met with some derision. But I, I think that this guy within this group is an underrated character in terms of all he can do. and Savick is pretty young. McCoy's not going to be a first officer, but Lana Torres is in the engine room. I need a first officer, and so I'm going with Will Riker. He's he's a pilot. He can clearly handle himself in a fight, and he you know he he gets along well with with Picard, who's an intellectual, but he also gets along with the with the with the crew drinking down at 10 forward this is a glue guy who is going to keep my entire crew together i do wonder though are you gonna have some issues with with two um well-noted ladies ladies man on on your crew you gotta fill the hours sometime somehow up there and uh, unlike Dan, I'm I'm installing a holodeck, so there can be plenty of extracurriculars there, uh, so so they can you know stay focused on when it's when it's time to be on duty. I'm not worried about that at all. Quite a leadership core there between James Kirk and Will Riker. Yeah, they're going to get into some trouble, but they're also going to get out of it. <laughs> does does Riker come with his trombone? Oh, that's that's one of the main things that that is going to to to, to entertain the, this crew. I, I actually really enjoy that selection, and I, I think Will Riker gets a bit of a bad rap at times, unjustifiably. I'm not sure how deep people are into watching the new um, Picard series, but Will Riker appears in two episodes. And his role is it's very good. He has uh, very thoughtful insight as it relates to Jean-Luc Picard. I, I think his human side really comes out there. And he was really the everyman that Jean-Luc was not. That's sort of, if we, if we can use the sports analogy, Jean-Luc Picard was the head coach, the unapproachable guy, whereas Will Riker was the assistant, the guy that players could go to, the guy that everybody could relate to if they're having problems and feel comfortable talking to. And I think that is a role that should not be brushed aside. So I, I as much as, um, you know, the, the Gondorf and Springsteen were about to go to war in round number two, I, I applaud the selection. Glad to know that we won't have to go to Camp Kittimer to settle our differences. So, wow. I mean, we have all assembled some just fantastic crews here definitely crews uh, deserving of some dork fest points i'm going to give myself four points i i just think my crew is fantastic i've got a three two male female split i've got a vulcan i've got a klingon i've got uh, a man from the midwest a man from the south and a man with a beard i, I mean it, you can't get a more complete crew than that. I'm also going to give four points to Gabe. I loved the outside the box thinking of putting Hikaru Sulu at captain. Really could have been painted into a corner trying to find somebody to command the USS whip, but again, thought a little bit outside the box and came up with a great choice. 
four points also for Gabe. Jordan's going to get three. Really like what the USS Hut did there. My only nitpick is the holographic doctor. Maybe not the strongest choice. Uh, Just in my uh, opinion, you know, he's not a human being. He's not a sentient life form. Yikes, we're getting into a real existential I just think that it, uh, it, it, that's what knocks you down one. And I was really all ready to lay the hammer down on USS Springsteen until he was pretty magnanimous towards the end of the draft. So I'm also going to give three points to Dan on that one. Wow, the cloaking device on the USS Gondorf replaced by a shade generator. <laughs> well, so, so hang on a second. I just want to make this clear. I got three points, not because I drafted clearly the most gifted and well-balanced crew of the quartet of us, but because I stuck up for your Riker pick, Mr. Irrelevant, Will Riker. I got, that's why I get points, because I defended that, not because I drafted a great crew. It ended up not even being necessary because nobody really criticized the Riker pick very much. No, uh, I mean, you do have a, a, a good crew assembled and again my nitpick is miles o'brien uh you know another way of saying that he is a character from the next generation is that he is a cast off from uss enterprise wasn't good enough to make it there would you Um, make the same argument about wharf a character who flowers just as much and i mean granted he's given more next generation screen time but boy a cast off i'm pretty confident that i could stand up to 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 colmini uh less certain about michael dorn so i'm not going to do any wharf criticizing at the moment so we've looked at the crews that we all drafted now next we're going to take a look at which tv series drafted the best crew that's going to be the basis for our three point question which is going to go first to dan which star trek series had the best crew This is difficult for me because my favorite Star Trek series is The Next Generation. I love what they did there, obviously, as evidenced by my Jean-Luc Picard pick, second overall. You know of my adoration for that show and that captain in particular. But when it comes to the strongest crew, and again, I said it in our one-point discussion, the idea of family is a huge driving force behind what makes these crews and in, in, in particular what makes them so enjoyable to watch. I'm going with Deep Space Nine. I think the dynamic of that crew, huh. the differing opinions of that crew, there were some really interesting arguments, uh, debates, situations that had to be worked out in the midst of that space station. And I thought the way that crew came together over the course of those seven seasons, the relationships that are built. You've got the family dynamic of of Ben and Jake Sisko. You've got the Bajoran angle with Kira Norris and her relationship, obviously, with Odo. And then, you know, I, I think when it comes to Star Trek friendships, Jordy and Data get a lot of the headlines, but I think the best Star Trek friendship just two guys that enjoyed the company of one another, Bashir and O'Brien. So for me, um, I, I say that Deep Space Nine had the best crew. Jordy, what say you? Wow. Um, best Star Trek friendship being Julian Bashir and Miles O'Brien, not Leonard it's, McCoy. It, it's, and, a hot, it's a hot take and, to be certain, and, but, but yeah, I actually think that it's defense, easily defensible. It, it's spicy. It's spicy for sure. So I think, you know, similar to what we talked about with the one point <laughs> question, I think that there are some different ways of thinking about this question. You look at it from the functional standpoint of just what's the most functional, most efficient crew, or do you go in the direction that Dan did, which I think is more looking at it for in sort of a canonical sense in terms of, you know, what's staying true to Star Trek in the sense of family. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of that, Dan, Dan definitely makes a good point. DS9 has a great, has a, has a strong crew. But in terms of the functionality argument, which is the one that I'm going to be taking, I'm going to go with the original series. Um, the original Enterprise crew, to me, is the best overall crew. You know, you have 
really no weak spots. We've heard some people try to, you know, stick up for Will Riker. And I think there are some areas where we can, you know, stick up for Will Riker, but I, I, I don't see how you can stick up for um, acting Ensign Crusher or um, Counselor Troy there. So for me, that takes Next Generation out. And, and, you know, in terms of that too, if you look at the original series, you have Kirk, you have Spock, you have McCoy, and that to me is just like having the three best players on one team all playing together. It's almost not fair. Yeah, I'm going to agree with uh, with Jordan. All the rest of the series have something about them. I, if I could just mention Voyager for a second, I think the idea of these two these two groups who are diametrically opposed being forced to coexist together, uh, strangers in as strangers in a strange land, is is really interesting though they end up not getting my my vote i just want to give them a quick shout out but yeah the 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 original series that they spawned this entire culture that us trekkies are are so happy to be a part of only lasted for three seasons but on tv but um were so widely loved that it was then brought back and made some of the best movies, some of the best sci-fi movies that, that, that I certainly in, enjoy in my life. And as Jordan said, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, I mean, those three were in, in the first five picks of, of our draft and those are all in, in the same series. And when you talk about those best friends, Dan, uh, if you're limiting it to two people, then yeah, it, you might not be able to say Kirk and Spock or Kirk and McCoy, but the three of them together, I think, produce better screen time as a, as a friendship than O'Brien and Bashir. So uh, lastly, Gabe, what Star Trek series had the best crew for you? You know, I've been teetering back and forth between a couple of choices because really ultimately it comes down for me to, again, between the original series and Next Generation, and it's you know, Dan mentioned that quandary, and I think everybody's spoken to it. But uh, just to have the dissenting, though somehow strangely, establishment take here, I will say and go on the record as the Next Generation crew, I think, has the strongest crew out there. If you talk about a collection of Starfleet professionals that know that when each of them is firing on their own cylinders, boy, nothing they can't do. They can solve their way out of a half-hour time pocket. They can, they can survive, you know, encounters with nascent baby monsters orbiting around planetoids and you know do it without breaking a sweat they've got the most fearless leader they've got the aforementioned aforementionedly uh, unfairly maligned will Riker more than easily you know, without, again without breaking a sweat managing the crew you got a, you got data the unique starfleet artifact you get you could go on and on you don't have to when everybody's firing at full full warp there that crew can do no wrong and while yeah it's uh the comparison might be that the original series is, if I may, the Joshua Tree, and the next generation is Octung Baby. One might be the best album, but the other one kept Star Trek around. And uh, Star Trek, as we know it, would not be around without the strengths of the crew and the dynamics formed on the next generation. This podcast certainly cannot exist with or without you, Gabe. Uh, I was going to say, Gabe sure finds mysterious ways to <laughs> shoehorn those U2 references. Yours was better than mine. My, my, my U2 knowledge is not terribly broad. Couldn't it be said, Josh, that you still haven't found what you're looking for? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Great arguments all around. I'm going to... Uh, go back to my adversarial approach against my older brother Dan and only give him two points my critique of DS9 being if the crew was that good why did they need to bring in Worf halfway through uh, I'm going to give Jordan and myself three points uh, each we each had the correct answer the original series is the best but I'm going to give Gabe four points because the, the, the argument that the next generation kept Star Trek going through our childhood is a particularly salient one, I think. And so I think uh, with that, it, it is time to crown a winner. And I'm not even going to bother adding up the points because I am simply going to award the crown to Fleet Admiral Gabe Freemuth. Selecting Captain Hikaru Sulu was a stroke of genius, and I, I 
perhaps unfairly derided you for your sentimentality. We know that sentiment is a huge part of Star Trek. It's one of the reasons we love it so much. And so congratulations, Gabe, on on the crown for this Dorkfest, the podcast episode. Thank you all for helping us to continually boldly go where podcasts probably most wisely have not yet dared. <laughs> and so that is going to do it for this episode of Dorkfest, the podcast. Please remember to follow us on Instagram and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Uh, it should be noted that in the midst of our sorrow, this podcast, the end of this podcast takes place in the shadow of new life, the sunrise of a new episode. We really hope that you've enjoyed this one and will join us again next time on Dorkfest, the podcast. Of my friend, I can only say this. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels. His was the most. Your burden. <laughs>